at his headquarters at Christiansborg Castle, a 17th-century slaving fort from where British governors had ruled the Gold Coast for fifty years. Sir Charles Arden Clark awoke on the morning of 9 February 1951 to face the most difficult decision of his career. His problem concerned a 41-year-old prisoner in James Fort in Accra, serving a three-year sentence for subversive activities. In the eyes of the colonial authorities, Kwame Nkrumah was a dangerous troublemaker. Official reports referred to him as a thoroughgoing communist. He had launched his own political party, the Convention's People's Party, in June 1949, demanding self-government now and threatening to wreck Britain's carefully laid plan for constitutional reform if it was not granted. British officials considered their plan, drawn up in consultation with the Committee of Distinguished Africans, to be far-reaching enough. It proposed the most advanced political framework for any colony in Africa, offering the Gold Coast what was called semi-responsible government. For the first time in the country's history, there would be a general election, a national assembly with an African majority, and a new executive council consisting largely of African ministers who would run internal affairs. In devising this plan, British officials expected to find themselves collaborating in government with an elite group of Gold Coast lawyers and businessmen, the intelligentsia, as they were called locally, who had long been pressing for this kind of reform. Known as Men of Property and Standing, they had formed in 1947 their own political party, the United Gold Coast Convention, choosing the slogan, Self-Government in the Shortest Possible Time. Their leader, Dr. Joseph Danka, was much admired by the British. He had gained a doctorate at London University, qualified as a barrister at the Inner Temple, and written a highly regarded book on Akan law and religion. As part of the drive for political advancement, he had come up with the idea of dropping the colonial name of Gold Coast and changing it to Ghana, an African empire that had flourished in West Africa in the 11th century. Hoping to build up popular support for their cause, Danka and his colleagues decided to hire a full-time organizer. One name recommended to them was Kwame Nkrumah. About Nkrumah, the lawyers knew virtually nothing. He had been living abroad for twelve years, an itinerant student, invariably penniless but politically ambitious. In the United States, he had collected degrees in economics, sociology, and philosophy. To earn a living during student vacations, he had worked as a laborer in a soap factory and as a ship's steward. He had even tried selling fish on street corners in Harlem. Moving to London in 1945, he had intended to study law, but soon became caught up in left-wing politics befriending leading British communists and avidly participating in anti-colonial protests. There was nothing to stop you getting on your feet and denouncing the whole British Empire, he recalled. He abandoned his law studies but found it difficult to make ends meet as a political activist. Short of money, he would spend hours discussing politics in cheap cafes in Camden Town, only occasionally able to afford a cup of tea and a bread roll. When the offer of a job with the United Gold Coast Convention reached him, Nkrumah leapt at the opportunity. With his left-wing views and ambitious nature, Nkrumah soon fell out with Danka and his colleagues. Eighteen months after returning to the Gold Coast, 
he broke away and threw himself with restless energy into the task of turning his new party, the Convention People's Party, CPP, into a modern political machine, organizing youth groups, using flags, banners, and slogans, and setting up newspapers which vilified the colonial authorities at every opportunity. In fiery speeches across the country, he promised that self-government, now, would solve all the grievances and hardships inflicted by colonial rule and bring a new world of opportunity and prosperity. His flamboyant manner and winning smile earned him the nickname of Showboy. To the young, to the homeless, veranda boys who slept on the verandas of the wealthy, he became an idol, a political magician whose performances generated a sense of excitement, of hope, of expectation.